Hi, I'm Daniel Wordsworth. For more than 30 years, I've experienced war zones, natural disasters, refugee camps, and sprawling slums. Now I'm going to show you a better and more optimistic world. This podcast is Finding Good. Daniel, you've, uh, you've worked in many war zones around the world. What, what are some of the war zones you've, you've worked in? Oh, Afghanistan, El Salvador, Congo, Darfur, Northern Uganda, Sierra Leone. Okay, so there's Syria, a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, Colombia. Um, sorry. <laughs> what when you when you leave those places? Do you sit back and think, consciously or unconsciously, what have I learnt from living in this space? What have I learnt from working in this space? And does that enable you to take anything forward in your life? Yeah, I think I've learned some things. I don't know whether I get it through reflection or whether you just pick it up over time and then you find yourself living with those things, Mm -hmm. the things you pick up. Uh, It's a very distinct experience being in those kinds of places and it makes lessons come faster maybe. Uh, So it's useful for that. Okay. So what are some of those things? Well, I... uh, and I may have told this story on a, the podcast before, but I'll say it again because I think it's worth it. So I think one thing you learn, and I don't mean this literally because I don't, but you eat, you should eat ice cream when you get the chance. <laughs> you should eat ice cream when you get the chance. So how did I pick that one up? So once I was, it was during the civil war in Syria yeah. in the teens, you know, 2000 and I don't know, 18 or something like that. I visited Damascus uh, during that conflict. Now, I I managed to get in there. This was the tail end of it because you weren't allowed to get into Syria until more the tail end of it. But I I got to go to um, Damascus. And we brought in 35 members of the team that had been working all over Syria during the war. And in those areas, the war's still going on uh, Mm -hmm. quite heavily. And I asked them, we did a meeting and we were, I was hearing what it was like and all that stuff. And then I said at the end of the day, I said, I'm going to shout dinner tonight so you can have anything you want. And they all talked amongst themselves and they came back and they said, we would like ice cream. And it turns out Damascus actually is famous for its ice cream. Right. But that, that wasn't the reason why. They said, we want ice cream. And I said, sure, you can have ice cream, but what would you like to have for dinner? And they said, no, 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 you're not understanding us. We want you to buy all of the ice cream you possibly can. And there's a big table and we want you to put the ice cream, as much ice cream as you can, and we're not going to eat anything else. We're only going to all eat the ice cream. So I said, okay. So we went out and it was a big long table, 35 people plus me and a couple of others, and we bought all the ice cream we could possibly find and we stacked it up and everybody just ate ice cream all night long. And I, I didn't really think about it much until a couple of days later when I'd left. And then I thought, if you think you're going to die at any time, if you think your house is going to be rocketed or that you're going to get blown up on a road on your way to work and that there were snipers, a lot of snipers in Syria, if you think that tonight's your last night and this could be your last meal, what would you have? Mm-hmm. You would have ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they all picked ice cream. So I think there's something about you know life, get what you want today because you never know. So that's first lesson I learned. Okay. Second one I learned was be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. This is a really useful one. You know, in another episode, we talked about this idea that, you know, you when you be harsh with people, like yeah. you go on a trip to a and you come back and somebody says, oh, I'm having troubles in my life. And you go, you don't even know what troubles are. You know, imagine what it's like living in Congo. Five million people have been killed in the last 20 years there. And so, But actually you learn the exact opposite lesson when you go to these places. You learn to be gentle with yourself. 
I learned that over a long time, but I had one moment where it was so confronting to me. So this was before I was the CEO of World Vision. It's when I was working in the last organization, Alight, um, American Refugee Committee. Yeah. And uh, while I was there, I was working uh, for a year very intensively. You, you know, what I've been trying to do throughout my career actually is find the most vulnerable people, find the poorest people that I can find and put myself into that environment. Um, that's why I love working with refugees so much. There's such a, they're in such an extremity in so many ways. Uh, but there's a group of refugees that are especially vulnerable. And that's refugees that are LGBTQ. And particularly ones that are non-gender conforming. So in um, Kenya, they have a large refugee camp called Kakuma. And there was a safe house that was a safe zone set up in the refugee camp because the part of the problem with being LGBTQ in that environment is that other refugees try to do harm to you. And so they create a safe zone and they got attacked. There was about 350 people mm. living there and they were attacked and it was all burned down and they got run out of the camp and they were living in Nairobi in these safe houses. And I, th I thought I would like to do some work with them. And so part of that work is to help them with the rent, to pay mm. for the safe houses. Part of it is to make sure they have enough food, connect them to the UN, do a whole bunch of different things. So I was working with them. But one thing I was working with them on was, um, and I would spend about four hours a week with them, and we would talk about life. Yeah. So many external things were affecting them that I wanted to spend some time with them on their internal resilience, you know, like build inner strength. Yeah. And one of the subjects, I was working with a person on this, and one of the subjects that we wanted to work on was forgiveness. Because when you talk to these people, some of the worst things you can possibly imagine have happened to them. I mean, you can't think of, you can't think of worse things mm -hmm. than what's happened to them. Before they were refugees. That's why they're refugees. But even within the camps and other things, I thought that I would have to do a session with them on forgiveness. They have to forgive so many people in their lives that have done so many appalling things. And it was meant to be one four-hour session where we were going to talk about how to forgive others and how you go through steps to forgive people. And right in the beginning of the first session, one of them put their hand up and said, my problem is I don't, it's not that I don't forgive other people. My problem is I can't forgive myself. And this person started sharing stuff. And then others started chiming in. And we ended up spending weeks on this subject. And we never got onto the subject of uh, forgiving others. Every single person, these were, I'd say, some of the most vulnerable mo people that have had the most violence done to them, unimaginable. And yet the number one subject they wanted to talk about was how to forgive themselves. That's what we ended up doing. And then I I'd looked at them and I thought, if anyone can be gentle with themselves, it should be you guys. Mm. And so I, I just took from that that, you never know what's happening to other people. You never know what's happening. And, and, and when I've talked to most people now with that observation, I'm like the real problem we have is not forgiving others. The real problem we have is forgiving ourselves. And there are, am I saying that there aren't things we need to forgive in others? Of course there are. These people had so many things they, could, they needed to forgive others for. But yet most of us carry this deep desire for self-forgiveness. And so I learned in this, be gentle with people and be gentle with yourself. 
and don't be so hard. I know it's so, it, I'm in danger of sounding glib, but when I watched those people go through this, they really centered me on this. And they were always worried about me. Yeah, right. Uh, third thing, and this was, you'll be surprised at what you can do, right? That it's a companion piece maybe for most people. We, most of us live our lives with so low expectations of ourselves. Yeah. And we're, so we're never sure what we could do. And I found this in these war zones, but actually I discovered it first when I joined the Navy. And the Navy, take they do that boot camp. Yep. Like just like in the movies. And the boot camp in the military is exactly like the movies, right? right? It involves a lot of running. Yep. It involves a lot of rifles above your head. Yeah. And it involves a lot of swearing <laughs> and sh- loud shouting Shouting. in very derogatory things. Yeah, of yeah. the chief or the sergeant, they really, they could give it to you. And so you, we did one thing, they call it a shake-up, shake-down, they actually call it. And so we came into, we had to report to PT, which is physical training. And it's just, again, like in the movies, we're wearing the little white top because the Navy wears everything white. Uh, we're making a point to the Army. Right. And so we wear the white, like we don't really get in the mud. <laughs> and uh, we wear white and the white shorts and little white, those Dunlop volley shoes with no padding. And these four boys from Jarvis Division, which is one of the other divisions, they always come late. So they came late and we got a shakedown. Now what that person says, that the chief got very mad at us, a lot of swearing, sent us out and said, run around the quarter deck, which is the big marching, and it's like 800 meters around. So he says, run around the quarter deck and I'm going to time you. So off we run. There's like 30 of us. Run, sprint around this quarter deck, 800 meters. As we come in, 20 sit-ups, 20 burpees, 20 push-ups. And then as we're finishing the 20 push-ups, he says, I timed the last run. You're going to sprint this again. But this time the – and I, it's hard to complicate it, but it's like the person who comes last this time must come before the person who came first last time. Right. So in other words, you all got to run faster than the fastest one, the one before. So off we run around. We come back in 20, 20 burpees, whatever. Then he says the same thing. I've taught, you got to run faster. On the fifth one of those, all feeling goes away. Right. So as I was running on the fifth one, I lost all sensation in my body. I couldn't feel my arms or my legs. I couldn't see anything except like a five-centimeter little circle of light. Yeah. And all I had in my head was my mind saying, you have no choice, you have no choice, you have no choice. And as I was thinking that, three of the Jarvis boys, <laughs> by the way, uh, the guys that got us into this, uh, Chuck, Ted, and Goody, uh, collapsed unconscious in front of me. And right. when they collapsed unconscious, they didn't put their hands out or anything. They just fell like, you know, lumps of wood yeah, and collapsed like on their face soldiers, onto yeah. the road. But what you learned there was you, you can do much more and it happens in, in extremity all the time. The fact that a parent can walk for two weeks carrying their child through the jungles of South Sudan mm-hmm. and things like that, you'd be amazed at what you can do. And it's all in your head. It's all in your head. And last week we talked about the stories we tell ourselves. And mm. I think if we have this story that we have, which is you would be amazed at what you can do if you decide to do something. Yep. So that's a lesson. One other lesson, I, I got two others. One is it's never all bad. Even when you go to a place that seems all bad. <laughs> so Odd coming out of a war zone. If yeah. you go into a place and people think war zone, right? Yeah. Now I will say currently there's – if you have a intensity of fighting in a very small geographic area, then no, it's all bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a place like Aleppo in Syria, 40% of all the buildings were bombed uh, during that time frame. 
It's all banned in Aleppo. But there are other places like Somalia, there are places like Congo, El Salvador, Colombia, where the war is going on, but life is also going on. This is also in the Ukraine now, right? And Ukraine's another example of that. When you go to these places, you expect it all to be aflame and fires everywhere. But what you discover is people going about their business. People are taking their kids to school. Kids go to school still. People are trying to have weddings go on. Right. You know, people are trying yeah. to live their life. And so even in places that you, when you think initially, you look at it and you go, this whole place is going to hell in a handbasket, you find out it's not really. And so I apply that in my own life just by saying, when things look like whatever, I just think there's not, there's always something positive or hope that I can build on. Even in my life, I go, there's, a, there's something here that I'm not seeing, something that I can work on. There's always, I, this is part of my issue with this idea that we learn best from our failures, not our successes. I have just found in life that I learn best from my successes and I find it best if I come into a new place or a new organization, I don't look for the bad things, I look for the good things and build on those. In our work, we call it positive deviance. So another example of that is when you go into a village, this was discovered in Latin America and Vietnam around roughly the same time. But, but for many years, you would look in places that are high levels of malnutrition for children. Mm -hmm. There may be 40% of kids are malnourished. And you, people go, oh, my goodness, 40%. That's like a bad number. Yeah. But what they don't say is 60% okay nourished. And so what these people did is they just looked at it that way. They said, yeah, it's bad, 40% malnourished. But there's 60% in the same village with the same circumstances have their kids are nourished. So what they do is instead of focusing on the 40, they went to the 60 and said, what are you doing that the 40 aren't doing? Yeah. You know what they discovered in Vietnam was that in the rice paddies where they grow rice, that some of the farmers were throwing shrimp, you know, prawns, yes. little shrimp into the rice paddies. And what they would do is they would grind the shrimp into a paste and put it in their rice. And so the families that were growing shrimp and grinding it and putting in in the rice for their children, their kids were okay. And the ones that weren't, they weren't. So all you had to do was throw shrimp into everybody's paddy mm. and all the, the kids got better. Wow. And so sometimes you don't focus on the 40, you look for the 60 yep. where it's going right. So I learned that. Now the, the next one, I don't know whether this one sounds obvious, but it's really not. It's very, very hard to die <laughs> until suddenly it's not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's real hard to die until suddenly it becomes so easy. Okay, you need to, you need to talk Explain to me about that one. Explain this one. So this one has a good and a bad side. The good side is, you know those people, you would have seen this actually in your experience, you know those people that they're, they're an overnight success but it took 10 years? Yes. This happens a lot in our life is that we hope there will be a linear progression or we hope that by putting in all this work it will lead to something and sometimes it doesn't and you feel like you're just toiling away and doing all this stuff. And that nothing's going to happen. But I, what I remind myself is, but suddenly it can change. Suddenly something can open for you. Suddenly an opportunity can come along. So it doesn't mean don't keep grinding, but it means stay very open to the opportunity. Keep looking over the horizon because even though it seems right now that all this stuff's happening, suddenly it can change. Now I also hold it the other way. We see this every day, by the way. Whenever you drive, you're living this because we drive for how many thousands and thousands of mm -hmm. miles. And it's real hard to be in a car crash until suddenly it's real easy. Yeah. And so when you're in a war zone, 
the danger all the time is because of the point that I made earlier, you see people going about their life, kids going to school, people, you start relaxing too much. Right. You let your guard down and then suddenly you get carjacked by the Taliban on the, and then suddenly you're looking at a Kalashnikov and then you're thinking, oh, this just got much worse. So I, I would just also say, because we, we get very, um, in life sometimes we start coasting and we're just not keeping our eyes open. And so I put, I just remind myself, again, with my daughter, just today we're talking about this. It's hard to die until it's suddenly not. You know, it's, uh, she was using it in, in her exams and in her, you know, it's very hard to fail until suddenly you just drop the ball and you fail. So how do you prepare for that? You know, there's an obvious way of thinking about that. And, but I, I, actually, I think, I think I'm going to back up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to back up a little bit. And I may have actually told this story really early on in one of the first uh, podcasts we did in this um, in, in the first season. Actually, I was visiting a group. If you remember, there were this there was this famous migrant caravan that was moving through Central America. They were fleeing Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador, and they were moving up and they were coming up through Central America into Mexico. And at that time, uh, the U.S. president was making a big political thing out of it. And this caravan came right up to the border of Mexico and the U.S. And there was about 25,000 of them and they got stuck in a big soccer stadium in Tijuana. And I had the chance to go down and spend some time in that stadium um, with some of those people from that migrant caravan. And uh, I was at one point talking to two young men and I, I can never remember exactly. I think they were Honduran, um, but maybe Guatemalan. And we were asking them about their experience and what it was like to move through Central America and about their journey and about why they'd left and the experience of being in the stadium and things like that. And at the end of the time talking with them, I thought I'd give them a chance to ask you know, me a question because you feel like you're interrogating them in a way. And so I said, hey, uh, do you guys, thanks for answering all my questions. Do you guys have any questions for me? And one of these guys, so they're like in their 20s. One of them says, actually, I do have a question for you. He said, is it true that just over the border, the U.S. president has sent an army uh, to stop us? And I thought, well, strictly speaking, the army wasn't sent down to the Tijuana side of the border. It was further along. But I said, strictly speaking, there's no army right over there. But yes, in, in general, what you're saying is true that the U.S. has mobilized the military to stop you all. And these two, they gave me this look. One of them just looked at me and said, um, you know, we are just little people. We're just trying to find a small piece of earth on which we can make a life. And I it really struck me and I was thinking about it afterwards and I was thinking, surely it's the most like most basic human right, which is that when you're born onto the earth, that each one of us deserves a small piece of this planet mm-hmm. to make our life on it. Yeah. Surely that's the most basic human right. And, and then I, I think about that and I think it's like it's all we got is the chance to live. Maybe it's 70 years, 80 years, who knows how long it's going to last. Yes. And for one sort of fleeting, beautiful moment, we're here. Mm. No one has ever been like us with our mix of 
DNA, our perspective, our childhood, our way of seeing the world, our unique voice, we just are like shooting stars. And we just have this moment where we're fully conscious and we're fully present and we're here and we're with each other. And yet for these two boys, it was like they were denied the chance to be that. They were not even given a little place to like make a life of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about this, it's hard to die until it's suddenly not. I think the thing you learn most when you're in a war zone is that, and maybe it's tied a little bit to the ice cream uh, from the earlier part of the episode, it's like we have this moment and it this moment we take it for granted every single day we get up, we're grumpy, we creak, we groan, we go into our lives and yet one day it's going to end. Yeah. You know, somebody said to me once, do you realize there was, actually my daughter said this to me. She said, you know, there was a time when it was the last time you ever picked me up and she said, and you, and you never knew it and I never knew when that happened. And you think, that's right. And there, how many of those moments do we have in our lives? Mm-hmm. This is the last time we'll ever do this. And we should be filled with gratitude every single day because at some point it all seems so inevitable, it all seems so permanent, and it all seems so lasting. And at one point it won't be. And I think in a war zone you see that happen in a flash. You know, I, I drove to Kiev early on in the war in Ukraine and we were in Kiev and then the next day we left and some cruise missiles were sent into Kiev. This was happening, not because I was there. And um, some people said, you know, had warned us about going there and they said, see, the cruise missiles came. You were fortunate to leave the day before. And, and I said, well, actually, I was expecting the cruise missiles to come in the day I was there. Mm-hmm. And so you're very aware in those places that this beautiful thing that you have can be snuffed out in an instant. And I think that's a gift that you get given in these places and it's a gift we all need to take into our daily lives. Yeah. And uh, on the negative side is you can do a lot of things and it's real hard to die, but after a while you start thinking that hardness was going to protect you forever and then suddenly it doesn't. So if you feel like visiting a war zone, that's probably a better lesson for that one. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you feel like visiting a war zone. War zone yeah. I'm glad I asked you that question then. Your, we, your we, likelihood <laughs> of something bad happening just went right up. <laughs> we ended up with some we ended up with some good life lessons out of uh, living and working in a war zone, right? Yeah. Daniel, thanks for your time. If you want to uh, ask Daniel a question about anything he's spoken about, danielwordsworth.com and you can follow him along on the socials as well at Daniel Wordsworth. This is finding good. good.